This morning, going to introduce a sermon series that I will be preaching Sunday evenings, but introducing it Sunday mornings, or this morning, just uh, introducing this morning, go on with Mark's gospel, Lord willing, next week. But as the Lord is our vision, it should be our desire, it should be our passion to be making disciples, to seeing others come to Christ, to walk with Him, and so on, to live, to share as the Lord desires. And I would like you to think this week about what is a disciple, but not only what is a disciple, what is God's plan for us as a body of believers to be making disciples of our community? If you live in some other community, what is God's plan for making disciples in that community. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the privilege of being laborers together with you. As we reflect on what is a disciple this morning, which leads to things we'll discuss tonight and then other Sunday evenings, it's our desire to be attentive hearers, doers of what your word says. For your glory. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. There was a farmer. His name was John. And he was complaining to his friend and whining to his friend repeatedly for months that he did not get any harvest from his crops. He was not able to harvest any corn because there was none. He was not able to harvest any wheat because there was none. He was not able to harvest any hay because there was none. His friend said, I got a couple questions for you, John. John, did you prepare the soil? John, did you purchase seed? John, did you plant the seed? Before I answer for John, we want to consider a parable of Jesus, which appears in three of the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But we want to turn to Matthew's account in Matthew, chapter 13, reading together verses 1 through 23. Matthew 13, 1 through 23. We have here the account of the parable of the sower that is also in Mark chapter 4 and Luke chapter 8. But let's read together, beginning with Mark, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 13 and verse 1. Matthew 13 and verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. And the birds came and ate it up. Some fell in rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they were withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell in good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was planted. 
He who has ears, let him hear. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he who had will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will ever, or you will be ever hearing, but never understand. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people, people's heart has become calloused. They hear gladly with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men have longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is a seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell in the rocky place is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since it has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word. But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on the good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. As we think about parables, the question is, why does Christ use parables? And in Matthew 13, 10 through 17, along with Mark 4, 10 through 12, and Luke 8, 9, and 10, Jesus says why, I, or why he used parables. Disciples ask in verse 10, why do you speak to the people in parables? His response, the knowledge of the secret of the kingdoms of heaven, kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. And he goes on to give a response. Jesus basically wanted the 12, to understand what he was saying. He did not want the rest of the people to understand because the Jews, the religious leaders, are reaping what was sown by their forefathers. They rejected God over and over again. Prophet after prophet was sent. Therefore, they would not understand. They are reaping. The 12 would understand the secrets of the kingdom of God. But others would see, but not see. They would hear, but not understand. A parable has an intent to hide from some to enlighten others. As you think about parables, expanding that a little, in the original audience to whom Jesus was speaking, the 12 
Jesus wanted to understand, the religious leaders and other Jewish people, he didn't want them to understand even though they were following him. The audience to whom the various gospels are addressed, Matthew, we don't know who Matthew was directly addressed to, who it was written to, but we know that Mark was addressed to the believers in Rome. And what would Mark be saying to them? He'd be saying, we want you to understand what the kingdom of God is like. Luke was addressed to Theopolis, and apparently Luke wanted Theopolis to understand something about the kingdom of God. For today, I think Mark, Matthew, and Luke, it's important to understand the original audience to whom it was written, but also to understand that Christ wants us to understand some of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. We'll find as we discuss this morning. So what's the purpose of the parable? So the twelve could understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven while they remain hidden from others. That's the purpose of a parable. Jesus wanted the twelve to understand the kingdom of God. That the kingdom of God is like a farmer sowing seed. And he clearly states that in verses 1 through 9. And as we think about this parable, understand that the field is prepared. That is, the soil. And according to the interpretation of the parable, the soil obviously involves people. So the field is prepared. People are interacted with. The seed must be sown. The seed is the word of God according to the parable. The message about the kingdom. And if it's a message about the kingdom, it's got to be a message about Christ because Christ and the kingdom of God are intimately related. But the seed has to be sown. Having grown up a farm, I never had my father say, I don't know what's wrong with the corn. It's just not producing a crop. And that dad says, oh, I forgot to plant the seed. The seed has to be sown. There are various types of soil. Jesus mentions four types. And keep in mind, the seed in that day was not sown as we would today with all kinds of big machinery. The sower would have had some type of bag that he carried and he would have broadcast the seed, you know, take a handful and throw it. I've done that quite often when I plant ryegrass in my garden. No, I'm not going to buy some kind of big machine to plant a little and just broadcast it. And as a sower would sow, some would fall along the path. Some fell in the rocky places and others fell, you know, where thorns would choke it out. And then some fell in good soil. But it's interesting that only the good soil produces a crop. Only the good soil produces a crop. I want you to make some observations in light of this parable. The seed must be sown for there to be rejection of the seed or acceptance of the seed. 
The seed had to be sown if some was to fall on the path, some among the thorns. It had to be sown. If seed was to produce a crop, it had to be sown on the good soil. And in that culture, the sowing would have been done verbally. That was a verbal culture. Another observation, the sower can do nothing to make the seed germinate and grow. The sower can't do anything to make the seed germinate and grow. I never found my dad sitting out in the field in the middle of the night saying, come on seed, germinate, grow, germinate, grow. All he could do was plant the seed. As you think about sowing the seed of the gospel, the kingdom of God, the seed can be sown, but you can't make it germinate. You can't make it grow. Another observation, the sower is responsible for sowing, not for germinating and growing the seed. The sower is only responsible for sowing. Nothing can be done to make the seed attractive, etc., to the soil. The seed cannot be enhanced. To mess with the seed is very unwise. You put the seed in the soil. The soil has to do its work, you know. God's got to do his work with real seed. With the seed of the gospel. You can't enhance the gospel. You can't make the gospel attractive. You can't make people want the gospel. All we can do is sow the seed. God's got to do his work. Well, you say, we've got to make the gospel attractive for unbelievers to be interested. Where do you find that in Scripture? Sow the seed. Well, you say, they might not listen. That's true, because some of the seed will fall on the path. Some will fall among thorns, and so on. And some will fall on good soil. But the sower can do nothing to make the seed germinate and grow. Another observation, all locations where the seed fell does not produce a crop. What did I do, Jer? It says play slideshow. All the locations where the seed fell does not produce a crop. Some fell among the thorns. Some fell in good soil. So the seed may be sown, but it's not all going to produce a crop. When my father would plant corn, he would plant wheat. He expected a harvest, but not every seed produced a harvest. The crop is believers in Christ or disciples. The sower is not concerned about the soil the type of the soil he's concerned with sowing. Just sows seed. The farmer goes to the soil. He does not expect the soil to come to him. In the parable, the farmer goes to where the soil is. 
sows a seed. He doesn't sit at home and say, come on, soil, come to me so I can sow some seed. He goes to the soil. You say, that's not very profound. But stop and think about how often we expect unbelievers to come to us rather than us going to them. What can we do to attract unbelievers? Jesus says, go to the soil. Go where the soil is. Another observation. Life is in the seed, not in the soil. Life is in the gospel. Life is in the, is in the message of the kingdom of God. It's not in the soil. The farmer is involved with the soil. No, he works the soil. He prepares the soil. And also, time is involved in preparation, in sowing, and in germinating, and in the crop. As we think about this parable, we're answering the question, what is a disciple? Jesus responds in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In Matthew, it says, but the one, in verse 23, the one who received the seed that fell on the good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop, yielding 100, 16, 30 times what was sown. Now, I want you to notice the underlying word in PowerPoint, understands. The Greek word for understands means to bring together. Thus, in this case, to mentally put things together so as to comprehend and make sense of it. Here's a person who is hearing the gospel, hearing the kingdom of God, understanding, putting together, understanding there's a creator God. Understanding that there's sin, there's separation because of what happened with Adam and Eve. Understanding that this sin can be dealt with through the cross of Christ. Christ became the substitute. Understanding that through repentance of sin and faith in Christ, there can be a relationship with God, with Christ. Puts it together. That stands in contrast to the seed falling along the path. I don't know if you've ever talked to a non-believer and you share the gospel with them. And it's like right over their head. And you talk to them a month or two later, and they just don't put together a creator God. They don't put together sin. They don't put together Christ. They don't put together the need for repentance and faith. The good seed on the good soil understands. They're able to bring together comprehend and make sense of it. I remember very distinctly at a funeral I had in Clark Pyatt's, and I think almost everyone present was on believers. And in this particular funeral, I was discussing why death? Why do we even have death? And I explained about creation, explained about Adam and Eve, and the result of Adam and Eve was death. And death came because of sin, came because of disobedience. And explained some about Christ. And I saw a couple people 
You could read their response. It's just like their face lit up. Ah, I got it. That's why this guy is dead or died. Sin, a holy God. Ah, that's why Jesus came. You could see it in their expression. Now, you read a lot about people when you speak to them, if you observe them. I thought, boy, there's only, I think, two or three that I, you could just see the expression change dramatically. They were getting it. They were understanding. Now, we go to Mark 4. We're not going to turn there. But in Mark 4, we find that Scripture says, other seed... Or others, like seed grown in the good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. Mark uses the word accepts. He doesn't use understand, he uses accepts. The word accept means to embrace. To welcome with open arms. To acknowledge as one's own. It is intensified by the prefix para, meaning near one side. And the word is strongly emphasizing the idea of embracing. It's kind of like a guy and a gal standing before a group of people. And they've gone through their vows, they have made their vows, and... The pastor pronounces them husband and wife. And this guy is not hesitant at all. He just, boom, embraces her and gives her a big, big smacker that lasts a long time. That's what is happening here. The gospel is being embraced. It's being welcomed. The message of the kingdom is being embraced and welcomed. It's kind of like Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, you know, he's a little man and... He climbed a sycamore tree. Some of you remember that song, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, you know, he's a wee little man and so on. And Jesus comes along and says, you know, I've got to go to your house today, Zacchaeus. And what does Zacchaeus say? I'm going to give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I cheated anybody, I'm going to return fourfold. He embraced Christ. We go to Luke. We find that in Luke 8, 1 through 15, Luke uses a different word. But this seed on the good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. Luke uses retain. Matthew used understands. Mark used accepts. Luke uses retains. The Greek word for retain means to hold something down. That happened when my brothers and I were growing up. I had two older brothers and a younger brother. We had brotherly love, which meant that we fought at times. And brothers are forever trying to show their strength. So when I was younger, I was often on the bottom side looking up. 
with one of my older brothers holding me down, you know, admit you're weaker than I am, cry uncle, or whatever the case may be. Well, my day came when I was in the top and my younger brother was looking up, being held down. The idea of the word is to retain, is to hold something down, and in a positive sense. It means to hold tightly so as to protect from being taken away. The person hears the word. He retains it. He grasps onto it. He hangs on to it. He's not going to let it go. That's kind of like Peter and Andrew, James and John, who when Jesus said, come and follow me, they left all. They left their fishing business to follow him. Apparently, they had some grasp of who Jesus was. They were going to follow him. They were not going to let him go. And we know that when Mark's hearers would hear the parable of the sower, they would think some of us have already died for Christ. We're going to hang on to him. Remember that of the twelve, all but one died a martyr's death. They were clinging, they were retaining the gospel. In Hebrews 11, we find what is many times called the faith chapter, where people persevered. So what is a disciple? This is one definition of a disciple. A disciple is one, a sinner who hears the word of God, the gospel of Christ, the gospel of the kingdom, comprehends it, embraces it, as one's own and grasp it as one's own and produces a crop. That is a definition. We could say follower or so on. But one who hears the word of God, the gospel of Christ, the gospel of the kingdom, comprehends it, understands it, embraces it, and grips as one's own and produces a crop. My question, are you a disciple? Now notice what I didn't ask. I didn't ask if you believe in Jesus. I asked if you're a disciple. It's interesting, in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus, as he is speaking to the 12, to the 11, I should say, he says, go and make disciples. He doesn't say, go get people to believe in Jesus. He says, go make disciples. And you find in Acts, The 11, along with Paul, were very, very instrumental in making disciples. Yes, that involves believing in Christ. But it's one who hears the word of God, comprehends it, embraces it, grasps it as as his own or her own, and then produces a crop. 
Christ has called us individually as married couples, as families, as a body of Christ to make disciples. Tonight and for a couple Sunday nights, we want to talk about making disciples. But it's not going to be, you've got to make disciples. It's not going to be an exhortation, you've got to act. It's going to be, what does Scripture say about making disciples? In our day by day living. I think most of us know that we're to share Christ or we're to make disciples. But that's not where the emphasis will be. What does Scripture say about just making disciples as we go into the world and how he wants that to be done? Will you say unbelievers are to come to us? Some might, but the overwhelming majority will not because Scripture says to the eleven, while going, make disciples. And you find in the epistles the same thing is emphasized. Do you remember the account of the farmer John who was complaining to his friend that he was not getting any crops? The friend asked some insightful questions. Did you buy soil? And John said, yes. Did you purchase, or did you prepare the soil, rather? And he said, yes. Did you purchase seed? Yes. Did you plant the seed in the field? No. Well, then why do you expect a crop? Now, think about that. The gospel of Christ, the gospel of the kingdom, is going to be sown where? In the field. Where's the field? Out there. It's not in here. Not wrong to talk about the gospel here. It's not my point. But the seed has to be sown in the field. The people you rub shoulders with day by day, many of them will never darken the door of a church. You say, how are we going to reach them? Sow the seed where the soil is. Sow the seed in the soil. I can't. I know you can't. But if Christ is at work in us, we can. But we've got to be where the soil is. And that probably is not real profound, but yet one that we need to hear over and over again. While we live, we're to make disciples. And I'm not talking about walking up to someone and cramming something down their throat. I'm talking about sowing seed. What does that look like in our daily lives? That'll be what we discuss tonight and several Sunday evenings to follow. Just sow the seed. Are you willing to be faithful in sowing the seed? And again, I emphasize I'm not talking about being obnoxious, being unkind, trying to push something down someone's throat that doesn't want to listen. I'm talking about sowing seed. The gospel in our day-by-day living 
to those in our sphere of influence. If some will come, fine, but many will not. If we take the schools represented in our church, how many hundred student, hundreds of students is in the field? If you go to the places of work that we put on our bulletin the first Sunday of each month, think about how many people that you rub shoulders with that will never darken the door of a church building. You shop. You rub shoulders with unbelievers while going sow seed. You say, I only got two minutes. I'm not talking about how it's done. That's not my point. Sowing seed. See, the way we live, the way we relate, is part of sowing seed. Share an example from my wife. Ruthann cares for a lady, and I called Ruthann one time, and Ruthann got off the phone, and the lady said, you and your husband have a good relationship, don't you? And Ruthann said, yeah, we have a good relationship. And Ruthann said, how'd you know that? Just by the way you talk to your husband. I just kind of shook my head. You work with people. You go to school with people. The way you live and the way you respond is part of sowing seed. It opens doors. People will come. Great. Many will not. But sow the seed. So we think about that. Let's close our service by taking our hymnals and turning to hymn 387.